I uh, so much appreciate people who are up front with me and uh, help me see my blind spots. And uh, like uh, Stan today, help me deal with some of my uh, issues of pride. And I got here and I put on a jacket, and he said, "Boy, you look good today." At least as good as a guy like you can look. And, you know, it kind of helps me, you know, reminds me of where I'm at. And, and uh, about, a, about a month ago, uh, I uh, shared about this topic of giving. And um, after that, uh, Christy mentioned to me, you know, you weren't terribly cheerful up there, terribly encouraging. And and I remembered, yeah, I was kind of sick that day, and I do want to ask your forgiveness for my uh, lackluster countenance that day. Uh, and I'll, I will try to do better. Uh, I'm uh, probably going to open myself up for more abuse today. Uh, I, as, as the, the topic today, um, I guess I would start with quoting an ancient bard who long ago sang, Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. That was Ricky Nelson, circa 1963. <laughs> because last time we did the easy stuff. The, you know, We talked about the spirit of giving and how in uh, the community of giving, you know, we are so grateful for when people give to us and do things for us. And, and then we... We talked about the privilege of giving, how those that, for whatever reason, choose not to give are missing out on a huge blessing. Uh, and then gave an exhortation that if, if you, for whatever reason, are not, if you've got some income, either regular or, or occasional, if you're not giving of that, then we would, con- we would ask you to consider whether maybe God would have you do just that, is, is to give. And uh, today, you know, we, I think I mentioned last time, we would talk about the nuts and bolts. And by that, I mean we look at the characteristics of nuts and bolts, and they're basic and they're practical, but they're also hard. And so we're going to deal with at least one of the hard questions, not necessarily theologically, but hard for us to apply. Um, This, again, is not a topic that's widely talked about uh, throughout the church, and there's a disparity of views. I suspect there's two or three camps. Pretty clearly, one of those camps is not terribly popular. Um, uh, and uh, what I'd like to do is just examine the evidence of the scriptures and try to determine God's heart on the tough question of how much should I give. The reality today is that this is giving is not exactly a strong suit of the church. Last survey I saw that uh, at least among identifiable groups that keep statistics, the Southern Baptists lead the church in giving by uh, just uh, a little below 3% of their income. And I suspect that's only because they dare to talk about it with Lottie Moon and the other stuff that I used to hear at Christie's Southern Baptist Church. Um, the remainder 
of uh, the American church hovers just above 2% uh, in terms of their income. Historically, we go back uh, uh, a little over, about a, about a century, giving as well as income were rising in the roaring 20s. That's 1920s for the kids. Uh, it was a, a kind of a boom period. Uh, and it was routinely above 3% uh, until about 1933. And then it uh, began to fall below 3% in, from 1934 uh, through the mid-40s. Um, and then after that, there was a recovery and uh, rose, giving again rose to above 3% uh, from 1958 and continued to rise until 1962. Um, and... Uh, we have to ask, well, what happened? Well, in the earlier period, starting in 1934, we had a thing called the Great Depression, followed by the Great World War II, which kind of explains why giving might suffer during that period of time. But what happened in the 60s? What's happened since the 60s? No such excuse. Prosperity has boomed. In other words, as the church has earned more or received more, it has given less. Now, what might be common rationale, or that's a nice name for excuse, for that happening? And, of course, if you think about it, what, well, I just can't afford to give. I've got to pay my debts off. Well, let me ask here, uh, is God to blame for my debts? Are we... Uh, perhaps a little more materialistic than we used to be. You know, uh, because of the longevity of our parenting, I've got really, uh, you know, uh, some 30 years of, to look back on. And I remember with our younger kids, for the first 20 of our years of our marriage, we didn't even have a TV or computers. And now those things are constitutional rights. Um, Another question, is it my first debt to God? And if I give, if I were to give more, is my God big enough to handle my debts? Let's try to remember some of the examples we've already talked about. You know, the Macedonian church in 2 Corinthians 8, they, uh, they were under the most severe trial and under deep poverty, but yet they abounded under the riches of their liberality, and that that group of churches begged to give more. Um, now, there's also that troublesome passage in Mark 12 about the widow's might. Uh, she gave two small copper coins, and Jesus said to his disciples, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors uh, to the treasury. They put in out of their surplus, but she out of her po poverty, put in all she owned, all that she had to live on. Uh, let's ask another question. If my income or your income was decreased by 3 or even 10%, would we continue to survive? Would I be better off with living on less within God's will or more outside of it? We come to this issue that sometimes divides Christian called the tithe. 
And I suspect that within some fundamentalist churches, not necessarily the types that were mentioned in the video this morning, but the kind that we understand, uh, you know, the concept of tithing is mentioned and preached, uh, if not followed. Um, you know, even only about 3% of the church even claim to tithe these days. And we're really not sure how many actually do. Um, where does that come from? Well, in Numbers 18, we see that there was a Levitical tithe uh, for the priestly ministry. The, the Levites did not have an inheritance with the rest of Israel, so this was kind of the compensation for that. And out of that tithe that they received, they were to tithe uh, a tenth for the Lord. So, the Old Testament tithe was 10%, right? Hold on. In uh, Deuteronomy 12, there was also a festival tithe for the annual celebration. Hold on. In Deuteronomy 14, there was a tithe for the poor that was collected once every three years. If you annualize that out, they all apply, that comes up to 23%. But it doesn't stop there. In Leviticus 19, there was a command to leave you know, your grapes in the corners of your field uh, uh, after the harvest from which the poor could come in and glean something out to eat. Remember, that's how Ruth met Josh, I mean Boaz. And in uh, Nehemiah 10, there was an obligation of a third of a shekel for various purposes, kind of like a tax that was imposed. And going back to Numbers 18, after the Levitical tithe, there was also a first fruits offering in which an an Israelite, out of love for God, they were to bring in the best or the first fruits of their livestock or crop to God. This was before... He harvested the rest, and before he really knew what was there, uh, trusting God to bring in the rest. Now, this was truly faith-giving, purely voluntary. And then you see Moses had a free will offering for uh, the building of the temple, and as he phrased it, from each whose heart prompts him to give. And Israel gave so much that a chapter later he had to tell them to stop giving. I think it's pretty clear that New Testament doesn't just deal with tithing. It also talks a great deal about voluntary giving um, for God's people. So one could ask the question, does even a single tithe apply in New Testament and even today? Well, let's, let's consider a little debate here. All of you, or some of you might remember Mr. T. Uh, some of you are old enough. Uh, we're just going to call him Mr. T, the tither, and Mr. N.T., the non-tither. And to answer the question of whether it's applicable today, Mr. N.T. says, no, no, I'm under grace, not under law. Mr. T. responds, well, tithing was practiced before the law. You find it as early in the Bible as Genesis 14. In fact, Jesus seems to affirm the tithe in Luke 11 and Matthew 23 when he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others, the tithe. 
Now, hold on. Wait for me here. Mr. N.T., of course, responds, well, but Jesus was talking to the scribes and Pharisees when he said that. Mr. T. says, ah, well, now, it's true. We don't have Jesus' 1040, but Jesus must have tithed himself. He was strictly scrutinized for every move he made, every possible offense, including breaking the Sabbath, but never for failing to tithe. In fact, the Talmud forbade uh, them from sitting down with non-tithers. But the Pharisees sat with Jesus often. Mr. Inti pulls out his big guns and he says, Now listen, Paul, the primary author on this subject in the New Testament, never even mentions the tithe. It's all about voluntary giving in the, uh, in the New Testament. Mr. T responds, Well, voluntary giving is just as much part of the Old Testament as it is the New. And finally he says, You know, the early church fathers... Arrhenius, Augustine, and Jerome all affirm that the tithe was applicable to the New Testament believer. And even today, organizations like Crown Financial Ministries and Focus on the Family seem to endorse the concept of tithing. So, where does that leave us? Um, Keep in mind that tithing really was a serious matter, as far as God was concerned, because Near the end of the Old Testament, in Malachi 3, he says, Will a man rob God? You are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. Well, if tithing is a part of God's will for his people today, If I come to that conclusion, can I really afford not to tithe? Now, if you are of that persuasion, are there some dangers in tithing? Well, I think there are. Because attitudinally, we can look at tithing as an unwanted tax and be robbed of our joy. It can become like membership dues, like instead of the health club, we pay the tithe to the church. It can also tend toward an attitude of pride. You know, I'm part of the faithful remnant because I tithe as opposed to those non-tithing apostates. (laughs) I believe the biggest danger of tithing today is the tendency to limit the generosity of saints. More on that later. If, on the other hand, you conclude that tithing is not applicable in New Testament times, I guess we'd have to ask the question of one of the church fathers of Lion and the Lamb Church. So what? Because we're still left with the question of how much and the consistent encouragement of Old Testament and New to give generously. I'm going to ask, well, the the question could be asked, and I will answer, to tithe 
or not to tithe. That is not the question. I would encourage instead to look at the issue of the discipline of giving. And maybe that's where your your handout may pick up. We just need to look at some fundamentals here. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And when we follow the Spirit, we don't have to worry about where the line is. That's called legalism. We will surpass it. First of all, give your whole heart to God in this area. It's when we hold some area back from God that we miss out on the joy of total victory. And so I'm never able to say, I am totally yours, Lord. On the other hand, it is so much easier to give a portion when I've already surrendered the whole. You remember in 2 Corinthians 8, the Macedonians first gave their own selves to the Lord. In Romans 12, 12, 1, it talks about giving of oneself is indeed worship. And of course, in Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, it says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Realize, secondly, that we belong to God totally. On uh, January 22nd, a few days ago, it was the pro-life, you know, it's always an enigma that we celebrate pro-life day with the day of Roe v. Wade. But uh, nonetheless, in our family devotion, we read a Psalm 139. And uh, most of you are familiar with that, I'm sure. And the King James says, For you possessed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. Ezekiel 18 tells us, Behold, all souls are mine, the soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. Romans 14 says, Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And finally in 1 Corinthians 6, You are not your own, you were bought with a price. You know, not only our possessions, but we ourselves belong to God. Now, so what do we owe Him? Some may be big givers, and they might say, that's my role. I give. I have the the gift of of giving. Um, And God, I think, will see and and appreciates and and, and will bless your generosity. But does God just own your money and not your time and strength? You can be a big giver and still miss out on the blessing of giving by serving. And others may say, I work hard for the church. I volunteer on every committee. And others don't. I've done my part. That's what I give. Again, God will bless your service. But is God only the God of your time and strength? and not your financial resources. Once I understand that all I am and all I have is really His, I won't say, Lord, I'll give you a portion of my money, or I'll give you a portion of my time and effort. Rather, 
God, how much of my time and my money do I need to keep for myself and my family? And how much should I consider giving to you for your work? Philippians 4.19 tells us that he promises to supply all of our needs, not wants, but needs, for those that put him first. Please consider what God would want you to do. It's clear this is a private matter between you and God. If you're not giving now, should you? Of course, we've talked about how much. As you pray about that question of how much, consider the pretty significant requirement that God placed on His people Israel. And you might want to consider a tithe as a starting point. If you're already tithing or following some sort of a portion approach like that, don't allow the tithe to tie you or your joy down. You know, I've been unable to find any scriptures that restrict giving to 10% or any other amount. Uh, in, the new, in the case of uh, the Macedonian churches, 10% of their extreme poverty would hardly have made a dent. And of course, the widow's might, it seems, was 100%. Giving ought to be regular uh, rather than haphazard. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16 seems to suggest perhaps weekly. Giving ought to start at the local body. Uh, in the Old Testament, the tithes and offerings were brought to the temple. Uh, in Matthew 5, Jesus talks about bringing your gifts to the altar. In 1 Corinthians 16, uh, again, Paul talks about on the first day of every week, each is to put aside as he may prosper for the saints. In other words, the more you're prospered, the more you would set aside. He was speaking to the church at Corinth just as he instructed the churches at Galatia. Now, we say that giving ought to start with the church. There's nothing wrong with giving to other organizations, but remember that those other organizations have many sources of income. There are corporations, there's grants, and of course there's churches that give to those organizations oftentimes, and and our church does as well. That's good. And of course they have individual donors. The church has only its members to rely upon for its expenses and its outreach. The more we give to the local body, the stronger it will be, and therefore the more able it is to meet needs. Consider just how strong do you want your church or your body to be. That determination will help set the extent of your giving to the church. At the same time, giving ought not to be confined to that box down there uh, on Sunday mornings. It should be responsive to need and spontaneous. Uh, The example of of Mary of Bethany, who bought the costly perfume, not without criticism, and anointed our Savior's feet with that, wiping it on with her hair. 
And that was giving at a very, very personal level, a spontaneous and loving gift. Next, I would suggest that if you haven't, start now. Don't wait until you feel like giving, feel like you're able to give. Uh, that kind of thinking holds us in bondage to good intentions, and, but we'd never really get around to it. Uh, there's a story about the uh, preacher who's questioning his farmer deacon. And uh, he says, Farmer John, if you had $200, would you give 100 to the Lord? You bet I would. If you had two cows, would you give one to God? In a heartbeat. If you had two pigs, would you give one to the Lord as well? Pastor, that's not fair. You know I've got two pigs. <laughs> Finally, giving should be joyful. God simply loves a cheerful giver. There's a quote, at the, I think, at the bottom of your page there, which I think is so significant. It's by Arrhenius uh, long ago. It says, The Jews were constrained to a regular payment of tithes. Christians, on the other hand, who have liberty, assign all their possessions to the Lord, bestowing freely not the lesser portions of their property because they have the hope of greater things. Now think about that. Think about the distinction between tied down to a tithe and having the liberty to give from the heart. C.S. Lewis uh, put it this way for those that uh, are struggling with this issue. If our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as ours, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. In other words, it seems to me like, to put it briefly, he was suggesting we give until it hurts. If you find yourself in a bit of a spiritual rut, if you're going to church regularly, if you're fellowshipping with other believers, reading your Bible and praying regularly, but your spiritual growth is stagnant, the problem may be because you're not giving as God would have you. He simply doesn't want a part of you. And I suggest that you experience the grace of giving. Joyous first fruits giving, which gives to God one's best up front, trusting that He will provide the rest. After commending the Macedonian churches, Paul caps it off with really the supreme illustration. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Even though Christ created the universe and couldn't put his finger on every star, he emptied himself and became a poor servant to give, 
No, to sacrifice himself for us. Neither the Macedonian nor the Corinthian churches were beaten or conned into giving. Rather, it was this ultimate example of giving that moved their hearts. It was simply because of Jesus. Now, personally, spiritual or excuse me, my spiritual gift is not giving. And it's not even near the top of my love languages, if that's your standard. So I'm probably not the best person to, to speak about this subject. However, I do know that since uh, Christy and I have attempted to practice this discipline in our lives, uh, God has always supplied what we need, sometimes just in time, which, is, which builds our character as well. But He's always supplied us, and we just feel tremendously blessed. I think we can safely say that a heart overflowing from God's grace has always been the ideal for God's people in New Testament times as well as as Old Testament. Suffice it to say that when a heart overflows with grace, a substantial portion of one's income goes to God. Now, this is a sensitive subject, and I don't want to pressure or embarrass anyone, but would you please uh, take this time now to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm just going to ask a few questions that I'd like you to consider before we pray. First of all, have I given my heart wholly to God? Have I accepted the reality that all my possessions, my income, my very being belongs to the Lord? Am I willing to give from my heart for the work of Christ? Am I willing to share from my heart with the saints of Lion and Lamb Church and others whatever God entrusts to me through regular and spontaneous giving? And finally, Lord God, what would you have me give? Father, search our hearts at this time. We pray, Lord, that you would be working at this very moment. And I can't answer this question for anyone else, but I know I must answer for myself. What is it that you want from me? In this particular area, Lord, I just pray that you would touch each and every one of us specifically with what you would have us do, what you would have us give. I thank you, Lord, for the saints here within this body. I thank you for their acceptance of hard sayings. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, continue to work in each of us so that we might truly be wholly yours.
It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.